Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim Rochelles. Today's episode 267 and we're going to be interviewing Jimmy. How you doing, Jimmy? Doing good. So you're joining us from Texas this morning, huh? Yes, sir. Then you're the tip of the tip of the state, right by Oklahoma, Mexico City, or Mexico, New Mexico, I should say. Yeah, yes, New Mexico. Well, 45 minutes from both states, and about I don't know, hour and a half from Colorado. Oh, that's not far at all to Colorado. Yeah. So, uh, how's your day going so far? It's it's going good. Um, woke up this morning and always visit with my sponsor on Sunday mornings. Been been the routine and the friendship for six years now. Uh, um, just waiting That's for great. some football later on family coming over. It's great. So let's start talking about you more. Um, let's start with your childhood and growing up. What was that like for you? Um, I was born in 1970 here, here in Dalhart. I have, uh, five sisters and two brothers. I'm the youngest. I think my closest sister in age is six years. We're six years apart. And then there's three of them that are two years apart. And from the oldest, my, my, my sister, my years apart from me. So they're somewhat like father figures right now to me. Gotcha. And uh, my other brother, he's 67 and still kicking and, Got a sister that's 62, and they're all like in their 60s, and the two oldest are in their 70s. So, as far as uh, upbringing, um, my mom and dad, man, my whole family's been uh, till death do us part kind of relationships, and uh, that's that's what I grew up watching. Is that a is, good thing uh, or a bad thing? Oh, that, that's that's a good thing. Okay, it, it's it's all it's all been a good thing. Shoot, man, I remember growing up and smelling tortillas coming through coming coming through the door and uh, fresh pot of beans and young and the restless being played you know i don't know if you're familiar with young and the restless but yeah. the piano in the beginning you know that's the price is right you know i had a I had a very good upbringing uh my dad was a little bit older uh when i was born my dad was 55 my mom was 42 you know so the upbringing on that part was a little was a little bit different. I didn't realize the impact that it had, the selfish impact that it had until later. What kind of impact did it have? Well, you know, growing up, uh, I didn't realize what it was. Uh, my dad was older and, you know, he didn't throw the football with me a lot. You know, maybe a couple of times that I remember uh, going to little dribblers and little league baseball, things like that, you know, and uh, my friends thought my dad was my grandpa. And uh, everybody else's dad was younger. Um, I didn't realize how that it, how that affected me until after I sobered up and started started working through some steps and, you know, getting down to causes and conditions of that step four and uh, realizing that I had a resentment towards, towards my parents because of their age difference, nothing to do. I mean, um, wasn't their fault. Wasn't, wasn't 
well, it wasn't their fault that I had the the embarrassment of having older older parents. Very selfish way of thinking, you know. Whenever you you grow up and you uh, start finding yourself in in recovery, but I had I had a good upbringing. Like I said, my my dad he was my dad was uh, the picture of of service to others before I knew anything of service to others. My mom, she was the rock before I knew anything of a, of, of a family foundation. She, uh, she showed me how to be a parent before I become a parent, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. She prepared yeah. you. Yeah. She, she laid the foundation. And like I said, my dad, he laid the foundation towards, uh, service to others before I knew what service to others was, you know, it was, it was a simple things. We lived by the railroad track growing up about two, three blocks away. And you could see the, the ones getting off the train, um, whether they were homeless or there were immigrants coming from across the border, you know, up to better land. Uh, my dad would see them walking and they'd come up to the fence. Like they knew where to go. And my mom would go inside and make some some beans and tortillas and make them burritos. And my dad was a Prince Albert smoker. So he'd sit out there and roll some cigarettes for him and get some tea going and sit there and visit with them. And if he had $20 in his wallet at the time, he'd give it to him. Shoot, I'd, I'd seen him give, give the shirt off his back, you know. Uh, my mom, too, she would sit there and pack them lunch and then give them clothes to wherever they were going it was just uh part of service before i knew what service was yeah it sounds like a good family you came from yeah um uh, we we're close knit uh my sister lived my oldest sister lived right next to us the sister that's right right up right above me in age lived right across the street from us my brother lived right down the block from us my other brother lived with us uh, my other sister lived about three blocks from us, so come come summertime, it was just, we had a porch with the swing and chairs, and the whole family would just get together, and I had nieces and nephews that were older than me and the same age as me, and we'd all just run around and ride bikes and play baseball or hide and go seek. We had a, we had a real good, real good family. We still have a good family. Good. Missing some parts, but we're still we're still intact. Yeah, family's important. So yeah. how was how was your social life growing up? Like friends and school and all that. Um I went I went to elementary school until I was in third grade and then um I started going to Catholic school. I was born, raised, and baptized Catholic. Uh and my mom and my dad put me into Catholic school because uh, a smaller environment. It was it was Catholicism oriented, and um, it was fifty dollars for tuition, and uh, we couldn't afford fifty dollars. But they made a deal with my mom and dad: if if the three of y'all, the three of y'all, will clean up afterwards you know be the janitors for it we'll give you half price so uh so i so i was in school until sixth grade i went to catholic school until sixth grade church 
at least five times a week, confession three or four times a month. Uh, and then I hit, I hit junior high and that's kind of when the wheels started falling off when it comes to my social, you know, you, you get in a different social environment. You're no longer going to church and you're no longer so innocent. You, uh, you're put into a new environment where there's more people and there's the older ones that have already started experimenting with, with drugs and alcohol. And I kind of, Fell into that crowd. How old were you the first time you tried any type of drug or alcohol? Or was it, what was the first time you were ever exposed to it? Mm. Exposed to it? I remember, you know, you get you get on here and people can tell you, well, I remember the first time I tasted alcohol. I, I really don't remember because uh, if you count being an altar boy and sipping on the wine before you go to school, you know, I sipped on some wine. Um, when I got into junior high, I can't remember if the joint come first or the beer bottle come first. I remember it was homecoming the first time I smoked the joint in a little abandoned shed with some friends and a girlfriend. Um, the first time I had an experience with alcohol was either a, a six pack in another garage with three friends or it was me and this one friend, we were going to babysit for his dad and his stepmom, some kids. And his dad had a fancy little IV bottle on the side of the of his uh, TV. It was a glass IV bottle and had the, the hose coming off it with a little pinch deal on there. And I didn't know, I didn't know what a screwdriver was. And my friend asked me, you want a screwdriver? Said, yeah, I'm sure. What is it? So, well, you, I'm going to get some of this vodka and we'll get a little bit of little bit of orange juice and will make us a drink and i was all for it and uh that was i guess the one that really i remember maybe being the first drink and i remember it feeling feeling good you know we had a little buzz going and it's been so long ago and shoot i'm fixing to be 53 years old so i really can't remember for sure what all we did um I remember uh, I've shared this before with others uh, watching 2020 with Barbara Walters and Barbara Walters going, you know, being on there and, and saying viewer discretion, you know, if you have any kids and now's the time to get them out. And my mom and dad were already sleeping. It was nine o'clock on a Friday. I'm watching Barbara Walters and uh, it was talking about inhalants. And she said it was killing, it was killing kids and, you know, they were getting high off of it and, the next day I went and shared it with my two friends. Say, hey man, you know you can get off, you can get high off gas. Really? Let's try it. So we jumped on my friend's dad's Kawasaki and started huffing gas. And we did inhalants from seventh grade to eighth grade until we finally, I don't know, got tired of the headaches and the bad trip that it was and quit doing that and just hung out with alcohol and marijuana. How did you feel the first time you tried anything? Um, like, like I said, the first time it, it, um, it gave me that experience that I never had. And it was a good experience. I had a good life and 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I thought I needed more. I guess maybe because everybody else was doing it. It wasn't peer pressure. It wasn't like I had anybody twist them on. Not the first time. I didn't have anybody twisting my arm to do it. Now, after that time, I had a couple of times I didn't want to get high. And I had some friends that, you know, beat the shit out of you don't do this. So there was a couple of times I I did it against my will. Really? But it wasn't very, very much, you know. That's peer pressure. Whenever you got some guys telling, hey, I'll beat the shit out of you don't hit this joint. That That's peer pressure. Yeah, that's, that's the absolute bullying. definition of peer pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it didn't take a whole lot of times, you know. You get a little bit older in your in your high school years. Uh, my, uh, I, I acted like a fool my seventh and eighth grade year, and then uh, I got in trouble, kind of with the law. And I, my ninth my ninth grade year, I went as a hermit. I put it on, I put it on pause. That willpower, I didn't know it was willpower, but you can do without all that fun, Jimmy. You know, you hurt your dad, you're. Your dad's in there tearing up and asking you if you think you're a man now. And what it was, I got drunk at an arcade and got in a fight, and the cops got called, and I got in trouble at home, and I didn't want to hurt my parents. So uh, me and my brother, I'm telling you about that, I was living at the house. Um, we'd watch Miami Vice and watch football and eat sunflower seeds and drink big gulps together. And, and then uh, my sophomore year come around, and my friends – Started inviting me out again. Hey, Jimmy, you know, it's been a while since you've been out with us. Why don't you come out? And so right back at it, you know. And uh, I wasn't, it wasn't like all the time, but it was, it was the beginning of, it was the beginning of addiction that I didn't see as an addiction because I didn't know what addiction was. Uh, like everybody else says, I thought that, I thought an alcoholic was somebody that was homeless and, and begging for change. I didn't think I had a problem. Yeah, that's how I felt too. You, I because you think about the people that are at the bottom of the barrel, and you're like, "Oh, I'm never going to be like that." I'm, everyone thinks they're different. Yeah, like the most this most famous words of an addict is, "Well, that guy's an addict, but I'm different because." <laughs> it's like we all say that. Well, I'm different because and it's like, no, you're not. You're just like you're an addict. Is an addict. Is an addict. Yeah, everyone's got their own like nuances to their addiction, but an addict, yeah. we share all the same tendencies and traits. Yeah, I thought I was. I thought I was different until rehab. <laughs> exactly, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, I got to rehab, and out of nowhere, I was like, "Oh shit, I'm not the only one." Like <laughs> these, these guys know what I'm talking about. Uh huh. Yeah, it was yeah, a wake up yeah. call. Yeah, you open up. You open up this book right here, yeah, and good book. Gonna find yourself in it if you're if you're an addict. You're there. Yep. I remember reading the little 1930s. They're writing about me. You got a pocket size? Yeah, the, it's just the uh, the first one sixty four pages, uh -huh. no stories in it. And I was uh -huh. saying to myself, it's like they wrote this about me. So much of the stuff in there, I just like, oh, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. I need to apologize to this person and that person. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that they wrote about us back in the thirties, nineteen thirty five. Yeah. Yeah, I think the book was published in '39. I could be mistaken, though. Yes, yeah, he wrote it and he wrote it in '35 and published in '39. Yeah, and then in '55 he come out with the twelve and twelve. Yep. Yeah, all good books. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's stuff I read. That, that's that's that, that's my toolkit. Yeah, that's my inspiration for Addicts Anonymous. Cool. I, I figured. Yeah. Yeah. I figured I want to try and start my own group that we deal with everything. Like people say, oh, that's NA. It's like, no, it's not. NA doesn't deal with sex or gambling or video game. There's uh, so many addictions that addict, the word addict covers. You know what I mean? Uh huh. It could be any type of addiction. Yeah. You know, right before it, right before that talks about causes and conditions, it, yep. it says that alcohol was just a symptom. Yep. But gambling was a symptom. Gambling was a symptom. Uh, drugs, you know, heroin was a symptom. Alcohol was a symptom. There's all kinds of symptoms out there. Yep. Absolutely. So when would you say, like, you know, your drug use and alcohol use picked up and really got into, like, high gear? You know, I graduated and you know, moved to Amarillo. Uh, me and my friends and being out on my own. I like to smoke weed and I like to drink Jack Daniels. And I I think that's when it really picked up is when I left home. I had nobody to nobody to hold me accountable, if that's if that's the word, you know, nobody to no curfew to you, you need to be home. You, Sure, sure, you can't be smelling like alcohol and weed coming home, but when I got to Amarillo, it was just like I had grown up. I was 19 years old and uh, got into dealing a little bit and dealing quarter pounds back and forth, you know, running them from town to town, breaking up quarter pounds on the scale and smoking bowls and drinking Budweiser and Jack Daniels, but still and going and trying to go to college, <laughs> believe it or not, still trying to go to college. I finished a, I finished a semester and dropped out my second semester because there's no way you can be drunk on Jack Daniels and marijuana and study for for anatomy. You know, it just it, it, it doesn't work. So I think that, you know, that that got me started. And then um, I met my first wife. And uh, we had we had a child together. And I slowed down. I was still crazy for about a year. And then she told me, you know, you're, you're out of control. You know, you need to do something. And, and I knew, I knew that wasn't, it wasn't right. You know, I'd lost to go back a little bit. I lost my dad when I got out of high school, uh, passed away of cancer. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And um, like I said, I was like 19, 20 years old, maybe somewhere around there. And I kind of, I kind of, I was mad at God. I was mad at him. And um, I went out of control and I didn't understand why he had to die. And I sat up in bed with my, with my wife, my ex-wife. And uh, I knew I had to do something. So I reached out for religion, you know, and, and I still, to this day, I feel, you know, God, when it's somebody's time to go, it's their time to go. Death is death, death is there. It's there. But he took your dad or your dad took off, but he gave you two lives in return. You got a wife and you got a you got a brand new baby girl here, man. And you're acting like a fool. So um I went to her uncle and in uh in an insurance office. I gave my life to Christ. And um I lived, I lived a good life 
for seven years. I didn't cuss. I didn't smoke. Uh, I ran on a treadmill every day. I was I was a good dad. I mean, uh, um, it was good for seven years. And then around 27, 26, 27, um, I threw it all away on a New Year's, on a New Year's Day. Woke up that morning and decided, you know, enough of this. Uh, went to my friend, told him to roll the biggest joint and give me a Budweiser and kicked it back off. And again, at the time, I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. I was kicking it back off. I laid it down through religion. When I was early, when younger, I laid it down through willpower and I picked it up because I thought, I'm tired of living like this. I want that high, you know, I want I want to live again. I want, I want to be, I want, I want, I want to have fun again. And uh, I lived like that for 20, 20 plus years. I lived drunk, I lived drunk and Somewhat high because I laid off the weed the older I got. But um, I lived like that for 20, 20 plus years until I hit rehab. Um, again, I don't mean to back up, but I had I was married and then I got divorced. I was with her for 14 years and I got remarried. And I just I, I just never I just never laid the alcohol down. It just kept getting it progresses. It really does progress. The happier you get, the drunker you get until there's nobody else around. So uh, I shit the bed with that relationship. You know, I had three, had three step, three step kids, and I have two. So we have five in this house, a five bedroom house, and it was full. And man, some of the destruction I I caused was was terrible. You know, I never was physical, but. Just not being there, being here, but not being there. If that makes sense, you know. It does. You know, your your kids are here and you're in the backyard having fun, doing chapter 11 of this book, you know. Living vicariously, I believe is how it says. Uh, pitching horseshoes and drinking beer and just partying and waking up with hangovers and maybe maybe fighting a little bit with with the ex but waking up and starting over again, being able to turn it off a little bit. You know, I wasn't an everyday drinker. It used to be I was going to drink on Thursday because the next day was Friday. And then I was going to drink on Saturday because it was Saturday. And then I'd turn it off and I'd be fine. And then gradually it bled into Sunday. Well, I'm going to have I'm going to have one twenty four or one quart for the first half of the Cowboys game. And then I'm going to drink another quart for the second half of the Cowboys game. And then I turned it off. I had to work Monday morning. I didn't want to go with the hangover. And then it just bled into all day Sunday. And then it carry over to Wednesday. You know, it's Monday. So you're hungover. You're not going to drink for till Thursday. It was like a routine and it just gradually, um, it started getting worse. 11 years ago, I lost my mom and, that foundation was gone. You know, uh, it just turned into everyday drinking. I didn't believe in depression, but my wife, my ex-wife would tell me, you know what, babe, you're depressed. Nah, I ain't depressed. I don't believe in that. That's depressions for weak guys. I, I, I know what I'm doing. Just uh, 
cutting with words, you know, just being cruel. Uh, I remember it was probably about four or five months into it and I was going to work and my mind was thinking, dude, how, how long has it been since you haven't had a drink? You got months that every day you've either been drunk or you're drinking. Something's not right. And uh, we had some issues and we both quit drinking. I um, I walked a six pack of tall boy Budweiser down to my neighbor, which doesn't like my family, but I, I knew he drank Budweiser. So I gave him the six pack and uh, he asked, what, what are you doing? I told him, well, we're going to quit drinking. So I need to get rid of this. And I did it drunk, you know, but uh, I gave it up and we started going to AA we went to AA for uh, eight months, started going back to church. And uh, the preacher, one of his sermons was uh, he didn't understand why people in Alcoholics Anonymous had to say they're alcoholics. That the blood of Jesus has you covered, Jimmy. I thought, hey, you know what the preacher's saying? I'm okay. I'm okay. So it kind of. Not to make excuses, but in my head, it kind of gave me the the okay to start thinking about drinking. And we were coming back from Lubbock, going through Amarillo, and uh, she asked me, hey, do you want, and this is after eight months of being sober. She asked me, hey, do you want to drink a beer? And I hit the blinker to pull into an Applebee's and popped up to the bar stool, and she said, a beer, and I ordered the, I ordered the schooner. I want the big one. And started drinking it, and right away it hit me like, oh my gosh, like I can breathe. I didn't know I missed this, not this much. And I drank it, and then I drank another one, and I drank another one. And she told me, hey, it's time for us to go home. We we're going to drink one. What are you doing? I said, well, they taste good. There's a motel right across the street from us. Why don't we just go there? They got a bar. We don't even have to go home. This is Christmas holidays. And we got rid of all the kids. I said, no, let's just go home. And uh, we drove home, and the whole time, that obsession, that craving was already kicking on before I knew anything about that. It was already kicking on, and I driving home, and I thought, okay, Jimmy, just go home. Yes, you got a liquor store on the left side, and you got a barbecue place on the right side. All you got to do is go through them two places and get home. And I found myself getting there, and I pulled into the liquor store. And again, she asked me, what the hell are you doing? So I'm going to get me a six-pack. Well, shit, go ahead and give me a six-pack. So the same six-pack that I laid down eight months earlier, I picked back up. I want a six-pack of Budweiser Red, tall boys. And went home and no joke. Popped up the recliner and put on the TV and started watching It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> and I drank like that from, uh, you know, it was a wonderful life. Uh, that relationship come to a rocky end you know an alcoholic it, it causes a it causes a tornado in here that's that's what I had become was a tornado so uh, my son had moved out when he was a sophomore my daughter was already old enough to move out and she was living in Amarillo and my son was living in Amarillo and uh, my stepson was out and my 
other stepdaughter. She was living with her dad at the time, I believe. Uh, we had a little one. She wasn't real little, but she was like 14 years old, I believe, 15. Um, everybody left. You know. And in the beginning of it, I'd come home and I'd have me an 18-pack of Budweiser or an 18-pack of Keystone and a pack of Marble Reds. And I'd take off my boots and I'd go to the backyard and I'd sit there and drink and read a book and get drunk. And I thought it was just fine. I liked it. I was alone. I was single for about three months. And then you, then you fell a breathalyzer test at work and you start scraping a little bit lower on that rock bottom that we talk about. And uh, reality starts hitting you. You know, all this time throughout the years, I knew I had a problem because it was progressively getting worse and I'd ask for help and then I wouldn't do anything. And I'd talk to my boss about it, you know, after I was all alone and I was, and I was failing breathalyzer test at work. And, uh, I tell him, Mike, I need, I need help. Well, just get me through the busy season, Jimmy. We'll work with agriculture, you know, and, uh, and I, I, I tried to get him through the busy season, but I kept failing breathalyzer test. And when I thought my job was gone, I'm sitting in the backyard, smoking a cigarette, drinking mud, trying to figure out how I'm going to get to rehab. He'd tell me, I need you to put your boots on, Jimmy. I need you to put your boots on. And I need you to get to work. So uh, I really am grateful for, for my boss. He's a, he's, a damn, he's a damn good friend of mine, you know, for holding on to me the way he did. Uh, <clears throat> I wrecked my car on the railroad tracks, leaving a bar and uh, some friends helped me get it off the railroad tracks and we brought it home. The gas tank was on one side of the yard and the bumper was in the other, other side of the yard. And my boss come over to see if I was all right. Cause I hadn't shown up for work that day again. And he had heard that I got in a wreck and he sat there and he told me he was sorry. He didn't, he didn't realize I was that bad. You know, it's, it's amazing uh, what people don't know about alcohol. People think we all get drunk and we all show back up to work and everything's all right. You know, we yeah, you're going through a hard time, but he didn't understand the, the obsession that was going on in my head. Whenever alcohol is waking you up at three in the morning and, and you're telling your or you're asking yourself, how many beers do I have in the fridge? Your brain's telling you before you're even up, your eyes aren't even open. In your mind and your brain telling asking you to count. And you're sitting there and you're counting. Okay, I got an 18 pack in there and I got 12 beers in there. I got two 24s behind the lettuce and tomato on the bottom drawer. You know, it's the it's the obsession of it, it's the craving of it at that time. Uh I got I wrecked my car. And the plan was to go to rehab in September. This was the beginning of July. Um, my daughter was seven months pregnant at the time. My son was going to college. I just wanted to end life. Um, I got pretty close one night in the closet. And I don't know what it was. Something snapped me back to reality just long enough to make me take that belt off. And it was that my daughter was pregnant and my son was going to college and I was going to miss out on their life if I didn't get my head out of my ass. 
So uh, she come and picked me up a couple weeks later. Well, they both come pick me up a couple weeks later. And uh, she had me under house arrest. <laughs> That's what I call it. She had me under house arrest for two weeks, trying to get me into a rehab. She'd already made communication with this man named Murray. There in Lubbock, it was called Dufftree was the name of the, is the name of the rehabilitation center I went to. And uh, she started talking with him and she, uh, I know, I know we're not supposed to enable. And I don't call this enabling. I don't know what you'd call it except grace. Maybe uh, she gave me two 24s in the morning to get me up. I didn't have nowhere to go. I didn't have a car. And then she'd come home and give me two 24s for lunch. And then they'd give me two 24s at night. And we did that for two weeks. And I come home because I had to, I had to pack up for rehab. I had to get money. And she let me come home and I threw my last drunk on uh, August 7th of 2017. I drank a pint of whiskey. I don't know how much beer I drank. And uh, I was back here in the back trying to unplug a shitty toilet that one of my roommates had left. And uh, my son went to pick me up and he, and he picked, literally picked me up. And he, he had to do that a couple of times through my drunk years. But that time he picked me up and he walked me up this hallway and he told me, come on, dad, just one step at a time. Anything Before I knew anything about steps, I do remember that. Drunk off my ass, I do remember him telling me, come on, dad, one step at a time. And he got me in his car and uh, I was going to put gas in his car and uh, I snuck in another six pack. Come on, dad, really? You still are going to drink? If I'm going to go to rehab, I'm going to do it right. And I passed out drinking, and I don't remember my last beer. I remember, I remember, I remember one of my last beer. You know, it was me, me, my daughter, my son, a four-year-old granddaughter, and my and my daughter was eight months pregnant at this time, and her boyfriend. And I told her I wanted two twenty-fours, and she told me, "No, Dad, it's over." And we drove to Lubbock and uh, passed out or fell asleep, whatever you want to call it. And I woke up. We we're we we're walking up the steps, the steps to Dovetree, and uh, Murray looked at me and told me, "Damn, Jimmy!" I said, "You can drink, but you're you're too drunk to come here. You're gonna have to go to detox." So I did uh, about five days in detox before I hit rehab. Uh, the third day of detox, I went to uh, to uh, celebrate recovery. I didn't know what celebrate recovery was at the time, but. This girl that was in detox with me invited me and this other guy that was in detox and the van come picked us up and went to celebrate recovery. And I saw that girl go up there and get her desire chip. And I don't know what a desire chip was at the time. She would have had three months that she would have had three months that night, but she was going for a desire chip. Uh, I got my first desire chip. I still have it. And uh, recovery began you know the road the, the journey to recovery began in detox off uh frosted flakes the whatever pills it is they give you i can't remember what pills for the shakes and the blood pressure they gave me some pills and then they had some frosted flakes uh some cereal some old schmuckmeyer double chocolate muffins you know those are what kind of replaced the alcohol. I had my last vision of alcohol uh, just before you open your eyes. And like I said, when you're still asleep, a snapshot of a 18 pack of Keystone light 
and a little and a little nurse grabbing my hands, asking me how I felt. And uh, I got to I got to rehab five days later. Yeah, it saved your life. It sounds like. Oh yeah, yeah. It it totally changed my life around, man. Yeah, I ain't been the same since. Some of the friends I met in there, you know, some of them are gone. A lot, a lot of them have relapsed. Uh, there was a guy in there, he was a teacher, and he walked in, his his name was Michi. And I didn't know what Michi meant. And I asked a guy next to him, what's Michi meant? Because, you know, you get to rehab and the recovery community, you get hit with different, you get hit with alt, you know, and you get acronyms, I believe is what they're called. And I thought Michi was an acronym. He told me, oh, no, give, give it time. You're, you're about to find out what a Michi is. And he walked in the room, and he showed me this big book, and he slammed it down on the table. He said, okay, man, the meeting starts at 3. You're here before 3, and you don't come here without this book. And that was my introduction into Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I wanted what he had. The passion, the passion to to help others is what I what I see, what it is now. That's what that man had. He told me about a week into we we're down in a basement. He told me, look around, Jimmy. And looked around. I said, yeah, there are about 40, 50, 50 of us in here. So yeah, they're gonna be about three or four of y'all don't make it this first year. And I asked him, you're saying three or four of us gonna relapse, start drinking again? He said, no, nah. he said, three or four of y'all going to be dead by the time this year's over. And I thought, nah, surely not. I got out of rehab and uh, I'll be down the first 30 months I was out. I was going to my first funeral. A man that I met there, and he decided he couldn't live anymore, I guess, and uh, took his life. Uh I met another man in there. He when he showed up, he's always he was always singing "Amazing Grace," and he had a guitar and he'd play the guitar for the girls. And he wouldn't show up for meetings. He'd show up for volleyball and for and for cafeteria. Uh, he was he was a cool guy. And I asked him, I said, "What what did you do on the outside?" And uh, I, used, I I'm a worship I'm a worship minister. It's all bull worship leader and uh, about four months into after I got out I caught news that he had been killed that he had relapsed and drunk driving went to his funeral and uh, I heard the sermon I saw where the man who took his position was preaching his funeral I saw where he used to sing used to do the worship service for that you know that's what he did he wasn't he wasn't joking i saw i saw other guys you know uh put their feet up you got 28 days in there 28 days or two weeks into it, you're feeling pretty good about yourself you're ready to go home to your family and start your job and you're clear-headed and you put your feet up and you and you put it on cruise control is what i call it and you get out and you start seeing relapses happen you start seeing deaths happen um i got home and uh i celebrated my year and there was some more in between getting out and 
celebrating my year. There was like three or four deaths, alcohol, ODs, car wrecks, a lot of relapses. But a year into, I celebrated my year and um, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. And he asked, hey, have you heard about Jeremy? I said, nice. So I just barely texted him last night. We were texting and it sounded like he was all right. And woke up and he was gone, you know, you know suicide. Pack of Marble Reds and two Bud Lights found in his car. And, you know, disease, uh, sickness is serious. There's a lot of depression in 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 the, in the recovery community. Yes, there is. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's life like for you nowadays? Oh, man. I have a beautiful wife that, uh. Now I can't, now I can't see life without her. I mean, there is life. I'm not saying anything ugly, but she, uh, she's part of me. She's, she's my best friend. She's, uh, she's my brains sometimes. Uh, my kids, I got three grandkids, uh, who just celebrated, um, Zayden turned three, Zariah turned six. Um, my oldest grandbaby, she's going to turn, she's going to turn 11 November 5th. And my birthday's November 6th. Uh, my son's 28, graduated from college as uh, a physical therapist assistant. My daughter, she has a damn good job with Bell Helicopter. Uh, we get together, we get along. You know, they don't worry about their dad anymore. They don't they don't have to call my phone and my work phone and call the neighbors to see where their dad's at there. They know their dad's okay. Uh, my boss. When I got sober, he uh, he bought me a fishing rod. Bought me a, a bought me a tackle box. We go fishing. We go fishing quite a bit. He has a lake house in New Mexico and We'll take off on a Saturday morning and go hit the lake and just catch catfish till we can't catch anymore. Uh, we're having a fish fry here next Sunday, so I'm gonna have a full load. You know them three step kids that I that I mentioned earlier. I made my amends with them, and uh, I got a I got a good relationship with them. Uh, we're all going to get together and have a catfish fry over here, and you know, with friends and family. Um, I got, I got married, uh, November the 19th will be a year since we've been married and it's been a, it's been a trip, a good trip. Um, we have goals. We, we set goals with each other, you know, uh, step nine talks about, about a new freedom and a new happiness, you know, talks about, uh, about your finances, talks about how your past life is going to benefit others through service, you know, is how I look at it. Um, we love to travel. Uh, we've been to Pagosa. We've been to San Antonio. We've been to Seattle for, uh, for our advert, for our honeymoon. Um, went to Vegas last weekend. We were in Vegas last weekend. Come November, we're, we're going to Arizona. We got we're we're on our way 
to Amarillo yesterday and we're discussing what are we going to do next? Well, we got to get the family together. You know, they got stuff in Dallas and Oklahoma and Colorado, take them to a big water park and let's just go hang out for three, four days with them. You know, we got a timeshare and that's how we do all of it. Uh, we set goals. Uh, we, we, we smash goals. Uh, we're down to a house payment. You know, stuff like that doesn't happen when you're drunk. Uh, I used to spend by myself about $400 in, in alcohol and cigarettes a month. And what I did whenever I, whenever I sobered up, I had that money and I'd get it in quarters, every paycheck, every two weeks, I get 200, $250 in quarters. And, uh, and I got some big old protein jugs, empty jugs, and I'll, I'll unravel them and I'll put them in there and I'll save up. And, uh, I paid my bills off like that shit. I bought a, bought a 2012 Camaro and paid that sucker off pretty quick. Uh, got carpet for my house and paid that off, painted my house, paid that off. The uh, um, bills, credit cards, all paid off. I got a, we have a goal by the time I turn in two year ago to have our house paid off and we'll be down to utilities, you know, and then, then just saving up. I got a 10 year goal. You know, I want to be able to retire when I'm 62, 63 or, or semi retire. I act like I'm retired already, but I want to actually be able to maybe just work 40 hours and keep my insurance and keep my 401k and spend a little bit more time, you know, with family and, and traveling. Uh, when it comes to, to work or to, to service work, uh, it took me six years and to get to the other side of that triangle, you know, you got recovery, unity and service. And it took me six years to get into the service work, uh, Come January, I'll be the the new GSR for our for our home group. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, I, I ran from that part for so long, and my sponsor started me up on the traditions. You know, my sponsor's cool. He lets me do. He lets me come up with what we're going to do. You tell me what you want to do. He doesn't. He's not a military type sponsor, and that, that's why we get along so good. Is you stay interested, and I'll do what you want to do, Jimmy. Uh, Started with the tradition. We're, we're, we worked on Tradition 10 this morning. We uh, The goals of doing the steps, you know, that's that's part of it. Is, uh, you know, the first couple of years, I thought step one through nine was good enough that you're living in 10 and 11 and 12 now, Jim. Everything's cool. And do that for a couple of years with this, with this mind and with the resentments that I can hold. That don't hold water. You know, you got to do, you got to do these steps, uh, nightly inventory, morning inventory. I'm good about reading, but I'm not practicing them. You know, I'm learning how to practice them on, on a daily basis. Uh, um, I have goals when it comes to family, you know, I'd, I'd tell you my, my, my oldest granddaughter is uh, fixing to turn 11. I want to be able to be there for her. Whenever she graduates, that's my goal is whenever she graduates from school, I want to be there sober. That's that's my goal to her. Um, and it's going to it's going to follow with my other with my other grandkids. That That's that's the goal. The goal is to reach the end sober. Whenever it's my time to, to check out. I want to be able I want to be able for my creator to look down in me and see that I showed up empty that I gave everything. I didn't hold back. 
Um, I live like that today. I, I live like I'm dying, if that makes sense. It does. Because you just never know when that day comes, you know. So that's why I live. I'm, I'm going to live today to the fullest. If it's, if it's laying around, I'm going to be the best laying around guy there is. If it's traveling, I'm going to do that the best. If it's work, I'm going to do that the best. If it's service work, it's, I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to show up empty. It sounds like you're in a good place doing uh, good things nowadays. I'm really happy. Oh, for yeah. You. Yeah. I got my moments, though, man. I mean, I got I work, I work, I run a lathe, and I don't know what you know what a lathe is, but it has a backdrop on it, and all the grind, all the grind and the water build up, and it cakes up like a hard mud. I have a file and I'll scrape something in for that year. Uh, pause was the big one last year. Jimmy, you got to learn how to pause when you're agitated and you're doubtful. Pause and you ask God for the right thought and the right action. Yeah, that, that daily reminder. I have I have uh, prayers on my on my on my lathe. Just just little little, little notes, you know, to to keep me in check. Uh, this year, uh, August was my sixth year, so I got to work and I and real real big on the back. I I wrote uh, I scratched in there maximum service. I have some of the guys at work ask me what what. What's that about? What, what's maximum service? So it's maximum service to my God and to others. Just a daily reminder. And you know, that daily reminder reminds other people at work too. Look what this fool's doing, man. He's trying to be a maximum service. Maybe we can learn something from him is what, I, is what I'm hoping is that, is that it catches, catches fire. That we all can be a maximum service to each yeah. other. That is definitely something we could be doing. So we're getting yeah. towards the end here. Did you have anything else you wanted to throw in? Um, Maybe some advice for the listeners and people watching. Yeah. Yeah. That's always, that's always going to say, I don't know how I can help. If there's any way I can help you with anything, um, I'm here. If uh, there's anyone out there, that's going to be listening to this. If they're interested to have a recovery page, um, it's called come as, come as we are recovery. Uh, Is that you with the picture of Kurt Cobain on it? Yes. I know that yeah. I, I posted your group sometimes. Yeah. That's what, that's where I, that's where I caught wind of this. Yeah. And, uh, uh I have uh, Jimmy Ramos is my name. You can look me up on Facebook uh, for the most part. It's all recovery based too. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Facebook. Facebook is a is a tool that can be used for good for sure. You know, I know a lot of people dog Facebook and social media and the steps. The steps saying you know, or the traditions talk about you know we're supposed to stay away from stuff like that. And I'm I'm kind of understanding. Like I said, I ran around from the tradition and service for six years, and I'm. I'm understanding, so I kind of quit posting AA literature on on my personal page, but I'm still hot and heavy on my on my recovery page. Um, that's that's how I that's how I roll with it. Um, be a maximum service, guys. That's that's what this is about. You know, when all else fails. Work with work with somebody that's struggling. I know the book talks about alcohol, but work with somebody else who's struggling. 
if they're in addiction or they're just struggling, you know, people have hard times, people go through separations and losses, just work with them, be there for them. Cause that, that there's what keeps us sober too. You know, something else that I've learned is uh, the steps aren't what keeps me sober. The steps are a tool to get me to a higher power that has kept me sober. It's only through a creator that this is possible today. That's great, man. I really appreciate you giving that advice. All right, my man, I really want to say thank you for doing this today. How do you feel? I feel great. I, I do. I got, I got, a, I got some friends showing up right now. I, I hear them in there. She's bringing some ribs over. She's a long, she's a long time friend, man. She's been watching Cowboys with me for 20 years. She told me the other day, I've, <laughs> I've stuck with you longer than your wives have stuck with you, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> She has. We've been friends, man, since the '90s, and she she's a Cowboy fan, and she'll come over here and watch football with me and my wife, and have awesome. a good time. That's good, man. Yeah. I'll let you get to your football soon, so just give me a second here. Let me do our little outro for the uh, for the podcast, and we'll uh, head out. I just want to say yeah. for everybody watching, listening, thank you so much. It really means a lot. Um, you could check Addicts Anonymous out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We're on all the major platforms. Um, you can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature. And Addicts Anonymous has a book out called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. It's a collection of essays that I wrote on a number of different topics, as well as people's personal stories of addiction and recovery. You can check that out on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. It's on all the major um, book-selling platforms. So once again, I want to thank you for watching and listening, and we'll catch you next time.